And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it is hard work being this good. I was like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a, a big choo-choo train. We join the Jim Huber Show, already in progress. I did that with not having any type of medication. <laughs> All right, so as we begin the podcast hey, take, today. Take 107. <laughs> getting ready to start the podcast today, Greg McDermott, the coach of Creighton University, terrific coach. His son, Doug McDermott, playing in the NBA now with Chicago Bulls. We'll, we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, Jimmy's pretty fired up. He just found it. Jimmy doesn't go on the internet as much as I do, folks, uh, to, to be straight with you. So I'm telling him this morning, hey, Kevin Durant and Stephen, what, Stephen Smith are fighting. He's like, what? What's going on? How could you miss that? It's I like, try to spend more family time. Stephen A. Smith family was... I'm not getting caught up in these little trivial deals. Stephen A. Listen, Smith, give me a break. Like, I got to follow him. <laughs> he's offering... He put like a threat. Stephen A. Is, issued a threat, uh, a threat. of sorts. Oh, oh, of so sorts. we got to be scared. Stephen A. Smith threat. Come no, on, let's, let's listen. But I will say this lastly. You don't want to make an enemy out of me. And I'm looking right into the camera. And I'm going to say it again. You do not want to make an enemy out of me. I'm not having it. You just made the list, buddy. And I don't like nobody touching my stuff. If I catch any of you guys in my stuff, I'll kill you. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> so do not make an enemy, KD, hey, here's what of I think Stephen about that. A. Smith. Class. And I'm not saying you have to be a great player no. to have knowledge of a particular sport. No. But I do think some of these opinions, it's like half the time the opinions aren't even right. Yeah. I got 24 hours in a day, Troy. Yeah. Even I though got like, 24 hours, and I got a family to spend time with, okay? Yeah. So I don't need to sit there and be surfing <laughs> for useless information. That's why you're watching puppet shows, because of the new baby. Congratulations, hey, Grayson. Thank you very much. Grayson, uh, you named him after a dookie? Yeah, you got to run a zone now. <laughs> you got two of them scrambling. A one-one so zone. Yeah, you're in a one-two zone own when she's not at home watching these kids so uh and we got to do a better job of communicating on the podcast with you uh we're rookies at this we're we've never done a podcast so we want you to be able to talk to us on the show we need reviews on itunes that helps right the, the reviews help yeah it helps move us up in rankings we don't know how the rankings visible. work we're looking at these algorithms we have no idea where the rankings are what they're based on someone told us reviews help on itunes so please help us with that. We'll, we'll give you a bribe, okay? We've got $50 worth of Breakthrough Basketball merchandise, our great sponsor. They've got videos on coaching. They have player development videos. They have apps that do all kind of stat tracking, all sorts of things. Anything that you want, we'll pick a random review out on iTunes, and we'll contact you and make sure that you get $50 in Breakthrough Basketball merchandise. And we're asking that they subscribe, rate, and review. All right, let's listen to a little audio. I think we've got Coach McDermott is holding on. Uh, this was a video that went viral of Coach Greg McDermott, and one of the assistant coaches sent it to us and said, hey, check this guy out in the locker room. It was after the loss to Baylor in the NCAA Finals. His son is one of the four seniors. He's got to say goodbye. Uh, it's emotional. Someone filmed it on, like a, I think, a phone, and it went viral, like a million views. Grant, Jay, E, Doug, you guys have been mentors to so many people. You have no idea the impact that you've had on young people, that you've had on people that are down on their luck because they're sick or they're fighting the disease. The number of times you've visited someone elderly, 
How many times have you guys gone to visit someone that's in the last couple months of their life? And you never said no. And that's why you'll be so good at whatever you choose to do. All four of them. Doug, what we all got to witness was incredible. I don't think any of us understand the magnitude of what you've done. We had a front row seat to one of the best collegiate performances for four years in the history of college basketball. But I'm still prouder of who you are. It's the last game. You, you went through many years of a journey with these players, and they meant a lot to you. How did you keep yourself in check after that game of controlling your emotions and giving that type of talk? Well, obviously it's difficult because, as you mentioned, those four seniors were extremely important to me, with one of them being my own son. So, you know, unfortunately that game against Baylor was – it wasn't a game that went down to the wire. So I had plenty of time to think about it the second half because the game got out of reach. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that they understood that, you know, their their meaning and their value to, to our basketball program – goes way beyond the final game and what they did for our program and our community and, and really, you know, putting Creighton University back on the map from a basketball standpoint. And, you know, I think without those four guys, I don't think there's any way we're in the Big East Conference. You know, th their efforts and, and the way they represented our program made us very attractive to the Big East when, when they started looking for another team. Coach, i got to ask you this. Let's go to your son right here. Is that he was a six-foot scrawny freshman in high school. I mean, you know, reading through and, and then all of a sudden he becomes 6'8". He wasn't highly recruited. How does he go from all of a sudden being, four years later, being the, the top player in the country of college basketball? Well, it's really an amazing story. Uh, you know, he Doug was not a starter uh, on his on his high school team as a junior in high school. He was their sixth man. Uh, but, you know, he embraced that role and did what he had to do. And obviously playing with Harrison Barnes, they had a very talented team and, and a group of young guys that, that grew up in Ames that were together a long time. And then Doug was a guy that moved in as a freshman. But, uh, you know, Doug continued to get better. And in his freshman year, uh, you know, it's been well documented. I really wanted to redshirt him. I, I thought I knew what his body would do over time. I knew he would fill out. That's how that's how kind of my transition from high school to college went. Um, but because of some injuries and some things that happened, he really got thrown to the wolves. And, and I'll never forget a, a, a close scrimmage at Colorado. Our, our starting center got sick the night before, couldn't play. Uh, we had one guy with a torn labrum, and we had to start Doug at center uh, that particular game. And I think he had 14 and 7 at halftime. Yeah. So that that really erased any thoughts I had about the red shirt. But he, he continued to work. He, he really embraced the value of nutrition and, and getting enough sleep uh, and worked extremely hard in the weight room to develop his body. And, and he is someone that I've explained to a lot of people. He, he, he was a gym rat, but an efficient gym rat. He wasn't one of those guys that came into the gym for four hours and would screw around and, and work part of the time and screw around the rest. He, Doug, when he got here, he had a vision in mind of what he wanted to accomplish. He got it done, and then he got out of here, and he, and he enjoyed some other things he liked to do. But, um, you know, we had a plan for him, and obviously Doug followed that plan, but a lot of his success can be attributed to the fact that he, he worked so hard when there was nobody else around. What is your message to the parents and coaches out there that give up on kids early? You know, say, like, he's a six-foot scrawny freshman. People, like, give up on a kid like that. What's your message? to them 
Well, you just have to stay with it because you never know. And Doug's high school coach, Vance Down, still tells a story about the first time I brought Doug and his older brother, Nick, by the high school when we first moved to Ames when I took the Iowa State job. And I told him as we left, I said, hey, Doug's body looks just like I did when I was that age. And, of course, Coach Down says if I had a dollar for every dad that's told me <laughs> it's going to grow six inches whatever, I'd be a rich high school coach. Uh, but it all turned out, and, uh, you know, you, you just have to stay with it. And there was a point uh, between Doug's, uh, you know, eighth grade year and freshman year that he was thinking about giving up basketball and thinking about, you know, maybe I'll just be your manager uh, someday. But, you know, he continued to, to work at it, and he had a love for the game. And, you know, Harrison Barnes, uh, I have to attribute a lot of Doug's success as well to Harrison because Harrison worked as hard as any high school player I've ever seen yes. uh, at skill development. And Harrison didn't have a license in, in high school, uh, so Doug was kind of his ride. So, uh, you know, Doug ended up spending a lot of time with Harrison and, and embracing the work ethic that Harrison had. But, you know, you certainly can't give up on young people, especially when they're that age, because you just you just never know what hard work and, and the natural maturation process will do for them. Yeah, speaking of Harrison Barnes, I remember going out and watching him on a workout, and the high school coach was saying, I think it was maybe after, maybe it was his freshman or sophomore year, the high school season ended, and the coach was like, hey, we're going to take like, I think a week or two weeks off. And all of a sudden, like Harrison shows up on a Monday, and he's calling the coach up going, where are you at, coach? What's going on? He goes, Harrison, I told you we're taking time off. He goes, you know, you can't take any time off. You're going to win championships. Absolutely. And, you know, they would get up in the morning and they'd go to the track at 530 in the morning and Harrison would be running with parachutes and, and different things. And, and, you know, watching him in the gym at times, you know, when I'd go over to, to watch Doug work out, Harrison would be on the other end working on a ball handling skill, just one move, and he would do it over and over and over again for 40 minutes, just the same thing. And it's uh, uh, obviously a success speaks for itself. You know, he, he made himself one of the best high school players uh, in the last decade, and he's, uh, you know, he's carried that right over into his professional career. Coach, as a as a fellow dad that has coached his son, and I, I'm coaching a late blooming shooter, so I've studied you a lot on you know anything I can find online with you and your son. And I got to tell you, there's a hell of a lot more video of Doug now than you <laughs> online. <laughs> he has passed you a lot, but I, I learned a lot. And one of the videos was you laying into him as a sophomore against Wichita State. What was life like at home after that game? Well, my wife had probably about forgotten about that, so thanks for bringing it up again. <laughs> no, no, no. He listen, Coach. That, coach. Hey, coach, that's Troy. If you think yeah. that a wife is going to forget about something you did, yeah. it's not me messing you up. They'll they'll remember it forever. Uh, yeah, she has. But, it, you know, it, Doug and I, the, the challenge was, and, and I've gotten a lot of phone calls from high school coaches that are coaching their sons asking for advice. And, you know, my the first thing is it's very different in high school. Uh, you know, Doug and I had the luxury of we, we would work together at practice and, and during the day he'd come in and watch film. But when, it, when the day was over, he went to his dorm and I went home. And we didn't have to live under the same roof. And, and I really had a rule that when Doug came out to the house, whether he was going to come out and have dinner with our family or, or come out and do laundry or whatever, you know, my deal was I'm not going to talk shop with him when he's out here. He's out here to be with his family. He, he's not interested in me telling him, you know, talking about the blockout he missed last night at the end of the game. Um, so we didn't talk basketball unless he, he asked me. Uh, the challenging part was early in his career is, you know, for 18 years, my voice was his dad's voice. And then overnight, it became his coach's voice. And 
his reaction to some things I asked him to do, like all of our children do, they, if you tell them to do the same thing over and over, they, they reach a point where they kind of roll their eyes at you and like, whatever, Dad, I've heard it before. And, and you know, Doug wanted to be treated like everybody else. That was the most important thing to him. And my deal with Doug was, that's fine, but you have to understand during the, while we're between the four lines, you have to treat me as your coach, not as your father. And, and there was probably a bigger adjustment period for Doug especially during his freshman year uh, than there was for me. Uh, and that sophomore year was a time for Doug when he was emerging as the face of our program and our go-to player. And in that particular game against Wichita State, he had a couple things back-to-back, uh, obviously with two timeouts that I wasn't real happy with. And one of the times he gave me that look like you give your dad when you've heard the same thing. And I remember my assistant coach saying, hey, coach, you got to back off. And I said, you know what? You can tell me to back off these other guys. But this dude's mine right here. So we're 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 gonna fix something, and and uh, it's something that Doug and I we go back and laugh about now. Uh, but it was an incredible experience. I wish uh, I wish every father could have the opportunity to have the experience that I had to coach your son at that level and to watch him, you know, be, become one of the best players in the history of college basketball and to have a front row seat for that for me um, was really incredible you know not only did I see all of the 3,150 points he scored in games I saw every basket in practice I saw the development and, and him grow you know from a from a, a young person into a into a young adult and that that's uh, something that I'll always cherish what advice can you give coaches out there that are coaching their kids how to treat their son or daughter fairly well I mean I think first and foremost if you don't treat them like everybody else during practice, then you're asking for trouble. You're, you're going to create some, some issues within your team and within your locker room. And I, I remember Doug uh, telling the story of his freshman year during a kind of a closed door meeting with the players. And I think our sports psychologist, he would meet with them once a month and just try to allow people to air get things out in the open about issues and problems. And obviously I replaced Coach Altman who had tremendous success here, but my approach is different. And in the locker room, some of the seniors were starting to, you know, I, I, I like the way Coach Altman did this better, even though I like what Coach Mack does here. And they were starting to complain a little, and they caught themselves and realized, you know, his son's in the room. <laughs> and, and Doug finally stood up and said, hey, I want you guys to understand that what you say in here." I'm good with. Mm-hmm. He says, matter of fact, if you're complaining about something that he did, I'm probably agree with you. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't have to hold anything back. And at that point, Doug Doug made it clear that hey, I'm one of the guys, and and I treated him like one of the guys, uh, and that was the most important thing. And you know, he he didn't. You know, as as tough as that deal that you're referring to that happened during his sophomore year, where I lit him up on the sideline. Um, you know, as as much trouble as I got in at home for that, it certainly was a message that I'm not treating him with any. You know, he he's not getting any favoritism on my part in terms of what your responsibilities are to the team. You know, I just put it out there to the team that you know I'm Doug's my son. That's a fact. Uh, you know, I'm his father. That's a fact. But you know, we're going to try attempt to when we're between the four lines not be able to tell that we're father and son and a lot of the nba scouts that came through had mentioned that like hey if i if i wouldn't have known i would have never guessed he's your son based on what i witnessed in practice and and i just attempted to coach doug and my staff did as well just like all the other guys uh you know hold him accountable praise him when he does something well because that's i think a, a mistake that coaches can make when they coach their son 
you, you're you're proud of what your son accomplished. You're proud of a play that he made, but you're hesitant to congratulate him right. because you don't want it to look like to the other players like, boy, he's just propping his son up and patting his son on the back. He doesn't do it to anybody else. It's really not fair to your son if if if, if he does something right and he deserves to be rewarded, deserves a pat on the back. He needs to get that as well. And I think sometimes uh, coaches are hesitant to do that because they don't want that to their teammates to see that favoritism right and if Doug's open on the three-point line and somebody drives in and misses the kick you feel kind of funny going hey you kicked that ball to Doug but that's what they need to be doing because he's the best shooter on the team he's not your son he's our best shooter yeah, and and we, you know, Doug Doug called me Coach Mack a lot during practice. Very so, you know, he'd call me Dad if he'd just walk over to me and say something. But uh, you know, if something happened during practice, he said, Coach Mack, 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 wait a second, we got a question. And you know, so uh, you know, Doug handled it well. Obviously, you know, Grant Gibbs, Johannes Maniga, Ethan Rogge, very mature young guys. They were the leadership of our program along with Doug during that era, and they got it. They understood it, and and I think they were smart enough to understand. Hey. You know, this isn't always easy for Doug either to be the coach's kid. So, you know, I think they really embraced him, and, and uh, you know, he was always just one of the guys. And, uh, you know, tried to de- Doug attempted to deflect the praise and, and as much as possible and turn it into something for the team rather than for himself, and uh, obviously that's important as well. Coach Creighton basketball is known as a terrific program. Your attendance is huge, like 18,000 a game. You guys are known for shooting the basketball and letting it fly, and and guys like Corver and your son. When I watch a video of your son online, they break down his shot, and they talk about him dipping the ball and turning and sweeping and swaying and all these different things. How much of that did you teach, and how much of that is just natural motion of a great shooter? You know, some of it's natural, and some of it you certainly work on. When you when you see something in Kyle Corver and and understand what a great shooter he is, and it's something that we could add to Doug's game and add to his release. And and probably the one thing that we were able to accomplish, uh, you know, with a lot of hard work from Doug during his college career was the quickness of his release. You know, it, it was he was kind of a uh, as a freshman especially he didn't get it off very quick. It was a, his release point was a little bit lower and. And you know Doug, as I, as you mentioned earlier, you know he was six foot and scrawny as a freshman and not strong. Uh, you know he shot it from his hip because that's the only way he could get it to the basket. And but what I always liked about his shot was his finish. So you know some people will will start to chime in maybe at too young of an age and try to get their you know, their release point higher when they're young. And the reality of it, sometimes you're not strong enough at that point. Uh, as long as the finish of the shot is good, uh, I can live with the with the rest of it, and strength will take care of a lot of that. But we, we gradually tweaked Doug's shot as time went on. And even when he comes back here to shoot, you know, I, I know his shot probably better than anybody. Uh, there's a few things that I can tell him that, that might help him if he's struggling shooting it a little bit. But uh, What, what kind know, he, of things, Coach? What do you – because I would be afraid to tweak somebody that is that great a shooter. Are you a little hesitant? And what kind of things do you work on with someone that is that accomplished? Well – when when a guy like Doug, he, he's got such a soft touch, and he's one of those he's one of those players that's blessed with the ability when the ball hits the rim, it dies. Uh, you know, not many guys can hit the front of the rim on a three point shot, have it bounce around the rim three times and go in. He he just is blessed with the ability; it really comes off his hand soft, and he shoots so much on his own. 
that at times he's such a good shooter, he can shoot it without the arc that he needs to shoot it with and still be making 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 8 out of 10 from every spot from the NBA three-point line because he's just got it grooved. And the reality of it is in the NBA with, with their length, their athleticism, you, you, you have to get it off quick and you, you better have a little bit of arch off your hand or you're asking for trouble, especially from that longer shot. Mm-hmm. I think the farther you move out and you stretch it to the NBA three-point line, there's very few great shooters uh, at that level that don't shoot it with the correct arc. So that's probably the thing that, you know, Doug's heard it from me a thousand times, arch off your hand, arch off your hand. And when he thinks about that and and, and as he's working out, uh, he gets a shot back to where it needs to be. But it, it's that and, and his base at times. You know, sometimes he gets a little sloppy with his feet. Uh, again, because he's got such great touch, he can get it up on the rim. But, you know, that's where your shot starts, obviously, is being able to create the, the right kind of base and have your legs into the shot especially when you're shooting a shot uh, as far out as the NBA three-pointer. Hey, Coach, when we were researching, going through stuff, and Let It Fly came about, Troy's like back trying to figure out if he's got eligibility left because he wants to play at Creighton. <laughs> but I got a question for it because recruiting like, you know, is competitive, and there's, the kids would want to play for a Let It Fly mentality. How do you balance that out with like shot selection and giving players freedom and the confidence with playing the game and, and just balancing that all out? How do you do it? Well, our guys know, and you know, we're four practices in, and that was my main uh, point of emphasis when we huddled before the first practice. Uh, there was two things. Number one, we're, we're turning it over. We turned it over a little bit too much in our ten practices leading up to our trip to Italy in August. And the other thing, our shot selection at times needs to get a little bit better. And you know, our, our guys know they have the green light. We'll shoot a. We'll shoot a step in three-point shot in transition at any time. We'll shoot a trail three uh, when we flatten out the defense. You know, we'll penetrate and kick and and shoot that three-point shot, uh, you know, right from the jump. Uh, But we want it to be a rhythm three. We don't need to shoot challenge threes uh, early in the shot clock. And we certainly don't want to shoot challenge twos early in the shot clock. You know, we either want to get to that rim or we want a rhythm three-point shot. And, you know, we feel like we've got enough shooters and enough guys that can do damage uh, that we can accomplish that. So it's just, uh, as you mentioned, Jim, it's, it can be difficult for a guy with a scorer's mentality because if you've hit a couple, uh, obviously you, there's a heat check sometimes, and you may take mm-hmm. one that's a, a little tougher than you should take. But yeah. we, we try to back it up with numbers. There's certainly the NBA does a great job of – you know, of breaking down, you know, a 17-footer off the dribble, what's the percentage in the NBA of people making that shot to, if it's somewhat challenge versus a step-in three-point shot? And the percentages and obviously the points per possession are much different. So those are things we share with our guys. And, uh, you know, you have to have freedom but to play in our program. You also have to be unselfish. You have to be willing to make the extra pass. And, and frankly, that was one of Doug's challenges last year as he moved to the NBA because he was a guy college if he had a good shot and his teammate the next pass had a great shot he was passing it and in the nba with a 24 second shot clock sometimes that good shot is the best shot you're going to get that possession and doug had to kind of rewire the way he thought in terms of that um because uh, you know at times i know last year coach thibodeau was disappointed that he, he turned down too many good looks How's he dealing with criticism? Um, Bernstein uh, wrote an article. He's on 670, the score, and he said, hey, it's time to find out if a lottery pick is any good. 
And he said, hey, you know, Doug hasn't really done anything yet. And he said part of it was his knee, that he had an injury, but it might be perhaps he's not athletic enough to get to the spots where he needs to go, i.e. not good enough. How does Doug respond to it? Because you don't get that level of criticism in college. And and how do you expect him to respond this season under Fred Hoiberg and and to uh, fulfill his potential? Well, you know, first of all, I think Doug is he's been brought up to you know avoid the noise. I always say you you can't get too caught up in in the good or the bad. When people are patting you on the back and telling you how great you are, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, understand the message and then move on. The same thing goes for when people are critical. Um, generally, they don't really know what they're talking about. But you know, Doug obviously had a had a challenging year last year with the knee injury, um, and then come, trying to come back from that. But the reality of it is, is what I found. I think the transition from college basketball to the NBA, now having lived it with someone in my family, I've obviously I've had other players that have gone on to the NBA. But um, you know, I've talked to Doug pretty much every day and the challenge the, the the transition from college to nba is every bit as difficult maybe more difficult than the transition transition from high school to college because the court is so small because of the length and athletic ability on the floor and things that you were successful with in college might not necessarily work in the nba so doug's had to figure out ways when I get in the paint, my my finishes in college aren't working against the shot blockers in the NBA. I've got to be able to do something different. So he's really worked on his floater so that when he gets to that point um, that he can have a little bit more success. So he doesn't pay a lot of attention to it, and nor should he. Uh, he's just got to keep working and try to be the best player that he can possibly be. And, and uh, you know, if he does that, I think he'll he'll always have a home somewhere in the NBA. Our guest on the show today is uh, Coach McDermott, the head basketball coach at Creighton University. Coach, back to Creighton. How have you been able to build and manage a national elite winning culture at Creighton University? Well, I think it all starts with the right people trying to recruit the the right people into your program. And, you know, even though we had a down year last year, uh, you know, we lost a lot of close games. Um, but the reality of it is last year we, we weren't probably built to play in the Big East. You know, we, we found out uh, the March – you know, the March before Doug's senior year that we're going to play in the Big East next year. Now, we could have taken Doug's senior class to any league in the country and been successful because mm-hmm. they were just, they were that experienced, they were that good together, uh, and we could shoot the daylights out of the basketball. Last year's team was, we, we were short. Um, we didn't have the punch inside that we probably needed to have to compete in the Big East. Having said that, our, our guys played their best basketball in March. We continue to improve even through adversity, and that was a great sign, a great signal, and a great message for the younger guys in our program that our guys last year didn't quit. They showed up at practice. They continued to work. We got better. We were playing good basketball late February and early March, much different team than we were the first three weeks in January. So uh, I think by recruiting the right people and recruiting to a culture, you know, I think you can kind of keep it going, and uh, that's why I think we can bounce back relatively quick. Uh, you know, we, we have one of the best fan bases in the country uh, as you mentioned earlier almost 18,000 fans a game and, and by the uh, way coach know, I want to say that's in the top five in the country and that's with uh, KU Indiana Kentucky all the big boys that's amazing nice recruiting tool to have to be able yeah, to tell kids hey you're going to play in front of 18,000 people well it's it's a basketball place and in uh, Omaha is a basketball town which which makes it 
a lot of fun. We opened a, a, a new practice facility a little over the year a year ago that I think is you know I was in the Big Twelve for four years and and there isn't any any in the Big Twelve that I would trade for ours. I think we have one of the best in the country now. You know we we have a great fan base. We have a we have a great education to offer, obviously, and and like I said, it's a it's a basketball place, and uh, you know I think that's been attractive to the young people that we've recruited. I've heard through the grapevine that you mentioned in recruiting that you tell your assistants do not recruit an individual that I would not want my son to have as a teammate or hang out with on a Friday Saturday night. Now I might have butchered it, but that's kind of what I've heard. You know, when I when I was a younger head coach and my boys were young, you know, and I was coaching at the Division Two level, you know, we they would go on some road trips with us and. You know, certainly you get on the bus and they're talking to me for a little bit, and those two young boys are running to the back of the bus to hang out with the players. And at that time, I always told my assistants, we have to recruit people that when my two boys go to the back of that bus, I know that what's being said and the example. Uh, that's been given to them is there is the right one it's the right message and and we've kind of lived with that and uh, you know I just for me I've been at this this is my 27th year in college basketball and my 22nd year I believe as a head coach and uh, you know I, I don't have time for for the other stuff and I, I want to put my head on the pillow at night and know that the chances of my phone ringing in the middle of the night are are are, are pretty small now having said that I am coaching 18 to 22 year olds, and they're going to make mistakes once in a while. But uh, I think if uh, if the message is out there and they understand the expectations of your program um, going into it, that the chances of them acting in the right way are better. And, and I think you sometimes you get what you what you ask for in recruiting. You know, you, you you do your research and you know a lot of what's going on prior to making that decision on whether to to, to put an offer out there. Um, so if you recruit the right kind of guys, then I think you're able to continue with your culture the best you can. So, um, you know, that is a message that my assistant coach coaches get frequently. Uh, and, and to their credit, they've done a great job of bringing the right people into this program. And I think that's awesome in the win-at-all-cost mentality we have today. That's great that you can do that. Hey, Coach, a question for you is, you know, you've won at the Division Two level. You've won at every level in Division One. What is the difference in the levels? I think the difference is recruiting. Uh, you know, even from my time at Northern Iowa and my time at Creighton when we were in the Missouri Valley Conference, obviously at Creighton, because of our NBA style arena and our fan base, you maybe can go head to head a little bit more often uh, with high major schools than maybe some valley schools or max schools can but being in the big east it just changes things simply because number one every every one of your games is on national television so you can reach out coast to coast and you know families can see their 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 son or their or their or their brother play and that's that's important to them uh, so I think that's the biggest change is, you know, it's, it's all relative. You know, we were trying to recruit the best Division II players possible when I was a coach at Wayne State and, and, and North Dakota State when they were still Division II. Um, and then as you move to Division I, you're, you're trying to recruit the best players possible relative to the league you're in. And you end up competing against, you know, different schools as you change levels. And I think that's the biggest difference. But I, I still think there are, there are families out there and there are young people out there that, that value playing in the right kind of culture, want to play in front of a great fan base. And and I think Omaha is one of those cities that as young people 
you know, they get on the airplane to fly here, they think they're going to fly into a cornfield uh, with no city. And they get here and they're pleasantly surprised that it's such a great place and it's such a vibrant city. So, you know, really, your expectations, you, what you don't want is you don't want to, you don't want to create an image in their mind and then when they get here, you, that image, they, it falls short of what you said. In most cases with us, I think, I think they're pleasantly surprised when they get to our campus and get to our community. But certainly it's different. But, you know, there are, I will say this, they're, the coaches that I coached against at the Division II level are every bit as good a coaches mm-hmm. as the people that I face in yeah. the Big East. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying Big East coaches aren't good because they're great. And the guys that I was in the Valley with are outstanding mm-hmm. basketball coaches. But there's great basketball coaches, you know, throughout college basketball. And frankly, you know, I, I obviously watch a lot of high school practices as my job and rec- with recruiting. There are a lot of great high school coaches. You know, I get good drills all the time or, or, or some terminology or something that a high school coach will say to his team that I bring back to my team all the time. There are a lot of great coaches out there. I've just been blessed to, to be able to move up the ladder and have some success. Coach, when you recruit now these days, are, are you going more to the high school coach or the summertime AAU coach when you're finding out about a player? Well, I think you have to do both. You know, I think you have to, you know, try to certainly have to develop relationships uh, with the AAU programs because they're dealing with, you know, such a large number of players year in and year out. Uh, But also you have to get to know people in the high school. If you're thoroughly going to evaluate this young person, you know, talking to the principal and and talking to the guidance counselor and talking to the high school coach, walking through those halls and having a teacher stop you and say, hey, you know, we've enjoyed Jimmy. He's great in our classroom. He's a leader in our school you know those are things you you want to hear so you know i think you have to build relationships with all the decision makers all the people that those those young people are going to look to for advice as it comes time for them to make a decision how do you coach kids differently today than when you did back then well this generation is different uh it's it's totally different and you know i was 29 years old when i got that job in 1994 and I made a lot of mistakes those first two or three years, but I was at Wayne State and nobody really knew the mistakes I was making. Yeah. So that was a that was a blessing. Where some young coaches that are assistants and, and end up a head coach at a Division One level, uh, you know what they do is is out there for everybody to see. But uh, you know I, I think uh, you know this generation of of young people, you know number one AAU basketball wasn't near as prominent then as it is now, uh, where the high school season oftentimes was it was the biggest point of the year for them and they because maybe they didn't play a lot of AAU and they get those 20 or 25 high school games and those things meant the world to them um and you know also I think we're in a some somewhat of a in the times that we're in right now you know a, a kid gets a, an F in a class and sometimes it's a teacher's fault yeah. and you know I didn't grow up that way you guys didn't grow up like that if I did poorly in a class or or I got sideways with my high school coach uh, my dad was taking their side <laughs> yeah I can relate <laughs> not, to that. Not, not my side I, I can count on one hand uh, minus four fingers the number of times <laughs> he came to he came to bat for me in those situations yeah. And it's just different now. And uh, I, I don't think you can coach kids as hard as we used to coach them. Um, I think the, the, the era of being negative all the time and, and, and berating guys like maybe we could do 20 mm-hmm. years ago, I think that's over. And, uh, and, you know, I've certainly changed and evolved as a coach as these generations have changed. Uh, I was always one that, 
you know, I want to sit down and talk with someone. Well, the reality of it is these kids communicate much better via text message than they do when they sit across the chair from you uh, in your office. And we certainly continue to have those face-to-face meetings. But a lot of times I can get information out of them via text message that I, that I can't get out of them face-to-face. And the reality of it is if there's a problem, you've got to figure it out. How you figure it out, it doesn't make a lot of difference. If you have to use, if you have to enter their world of, of social media and technology to get the answer that you need and to solve the problem, then so be it. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, kids want to, they want to be pushed, I think, to a certain extent. They, they want you to maximize their potential. I think they just want you to do it in a different way than maybe we did it 20 years ago. Coach Greg McDermott of Creighton University, you got anything you're promoting right now, Coach? You got any camps, books, anything you're, you're selling to the masses? Well, I've had a ton of people try to get at me to write a book about Doug and I's experience, and so far we've we've decided not to do that. But may, maybe someday uh, we'll do that. But, uh, you know, right now all I'm worried about is whether we're going to be worth a darn at practice this afternoon at 2.15. <laughs> All right, Coach, we're going to release you. We know you're busy. Jimmy's got his big three questions. He puts all of his brain power in this all day. Coming up with these questions, here we go. All right, Coach, if you're, if you're on an island and you have one movie to watch for the remainder of your life, what is it? It is going to be Hoosiers. Now, boys, don't get caught watching a paint dry. Now, Coach, if you had to recommend one book to change someone's life, what would it be? Uh, Weekends with Maury. Oh, yeah. Mitch Album. Mitch Album. Unbelievable book uh, about a mentor. And, uh, you know, I I think any time a book of that fashion that talks about life lessons and how one person can change your life, uh, those have always been intriguing to me. Last one, Coach. Best piece of advice anyone has ever given you in your life? You know, you know, my father, uh, he, he, he lost his arm in a farm accident when, when he was uh, a young person, when I was six years old. Uh, and, and I don't know that if he, it was a spoken word of advice, but watching him live his life and never complain about the bad hand that was dealt to him in terms of the adversity he had to face, he just continued to overcome it. And, and that's, you know, I never feel very sorry for myself when I have a bad day. Uh, and it, and it's because of what I've watched him do now for the 51 years that I've been alive, uh, that he just continues to overcome and continues to, uh, do things that nobody thought he could possibly do. Coach McDermott, you're going to have a great season this year with Creighton. Doug is going to have a great season with the Bulls. We thank you so much for coming on. Coach, you bet any time, guys. Thanks for your time. Good luck this year, Kai. Thank you. Take care. And there's the music. It's a wrap on this edition of the Jim Huber Show. Jimmy, great job. Say hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Breakthrough Basketball Radio Network. Remember, go to www.breakthroughbasketball.com, the greatest basketball website in the world. Tons of free stuff, videos, DVDs, stat apps, all kinds of great products at BreakthroughBasketball.com. Don't just do it, break through it. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on the Jim Huber Show. But I will say this lastly. The name's Francis Sawyer. You don't want to make an enemy out of me. Everybody calls me psycho. And I'm looking right into the camera. And I'm going to say it again. Any of you guys call me Francis, and I'll kill you. Ooh.
Just make it this, buddy. Lighten up, Francis. 